wine If I'd been out till quarter to three Would you lock the door? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? When I'm 64 Hi, I'm Gilbert Thurston, lead pastor at Exponential Church. I want to welcome you today to our brand new series called Just Married. I was planning on preaching this live, but well, we have a lot of snow in the Harrisburg area, so we had to cancel today's worship experience. However, I wanted to make sure that you got all four weeks of the experience, but the two weeks after, I'm actually going to be in Haiti, and then the week after that is Easter. And so in order to get everything in, we decided we were going to do this in a little bit of a different way. So here's what's going to happen. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at marriage from many different aspects. And whether you're single or married, you're divorced or widowed, there's going to be something for everyone in this series. Did you know that the number of single people in the United States now exceeds that of those that are married? It's true. 63% of singles have never been married. 23% are divorced and 14% are widows. Now, for those that are in the never married category, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily living alone. The number of couples living together outside of marriage has increased 168% in the past 20 years. Of course, many of us already know that nearly 50% of all marriages now end in divorce. Perhaps most disturbing about that is over 200,000 marriages per year end before a couple even hits their second anniversary. There is absolutely no doubt that marriage and dating and relationships in our society has gotten way out of whack. Recently, over 50% of teens that were surveyed said that a couple living together should be considered a family. Facebook is now cited as the number one reason that a couple gets a divorce in 20% of all divorce cases. 80% of all affairs are now originating through the use of social media. On Match.com, 70% of people said that humor was more important than someone who makes me think. In fact, humor ranked even higher than someone that has a strong moral character. Speaking of humor, Carrie, age 7, was asked, what is love? And she responded, well, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on a clone and then they go out all night and they sniff each other. Noel, age seven, said, love is what you tell a guy when you like a shirt and then he goes out and he wears it every single day. Alan, age 10, was asked, how do you decide who you're going to marry? He said, well, you've got to find someone who likes the same sports as you do. That way, during the game, she can keep the chips and the dip coming. Boy, see him for a surprise. Now, it's funny when kids mess up like this, but adults do the exact same thing. We have a faulty definition of marriage. In fact, today many see marriage like buying a car. I mean, first of all, you take it out for a test drive, and then after a few years, you trade it in for a different model. Many people see marriage as a chemistry experiment. You know, two very different chemicals that are brought together, and you just hope that it doesn't all blow up. Many see marriage like a game where you need to maneuver and strategize and compete against one another, hoping that you'll just outdo each other. Many see marriage like a contract that if you don't do your part, then I'm not going to do my part until, well, things are renegotiated. Many people see marriage like a consumer product that, you know, you go out and you find the newest and coolest thing that's out there and then you use it and you abuse it only to discard it whenever the luster of it wears off. But that's not how the Bible views marriage. I mean, starting right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, God speaking through the various authors of Scripture says that we need to refer to marriage as a covenant, not a contract. 280 times in the Old Testament and 33 times in the New Testament, this word covenant is used to describe God's relationship, not only with us, but then how a relationship with our spouse is supposed to be as well. You see, a covenant is not a contract where if you don't do your part, then I'm not going to do my part. No, a covenant is... I'm going to stick this out no matter what. That's why oftentimes you hear in wedding vows words use something similar to this. 
for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, through sickness and in health. I'm going to love you until death do us part. You see, those just aren't flowery words that you hear in a wedding ceremony. They're an acknowledgement that we're entering into a covenant relationship that is meant for life. And so that's why marriage isn't to be entered into without much thought and without prayer. And so today what I want to do is talk to you that aren't currently married, those of you that are single, and give you five questions that you should ask of the person that you're dating. Question number one, what does it mean to you to be a follower of Jesus? Now, I want you to notice the question wasn't, do you go to church, or do you believe in God, or are you a Christian? Because there are a lot of people who go to church. There's a lot of people who say that they believe in God. There's many people who call themselves a Christian, but they're actually not. So this question of, what does it mean to you to be a follower of Jesus, it actually gets to the heart of what their faith is all about, and how that plays out in their day-to-day -day life and their decision-making. Here's why this is important. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 16, the Apostle Paul says this, Stop forming inappropriate relationships with unbelievers. Can right and wrong be partners? Can light have anything in common with darkness? Can Christ agree with the devil? Can a believer share life with an unbeliever? Can God's temple contain false gods? For our bodies are a temple of the living God. Now, some translations say don't be yoked together with unbelievers. I want you to take a look at this picture. A uh, yoke is a piece of wood that connects two like animals together. In this case, it's two bulls. And because they're the same size and the same strength, they're going to be able to work together and accomplish far more than what just one could all by itself. But what Paul was talking about here in 2 Corinthians is this second picture that I want you to see. A donkey and a camel yoked together is simply not going to work. Their size difference and personalities is simply going to be just too much. They're going to compete with one another. And so too will it be if you're a follower of Jesus, but your spouse isn't. You're not going to have partnership. It's going to be more like a war because your personalities are going to be so different. You're going to want to put Jesus first, whereas they're going to want to put, you know, they're going to want you to put them first. You know, when it comes to your finances and how to discipline your kids, you're going to want to do it God's way and they're going to want to do it their own way. In other words, you're a spiritual mismatch. Now, let me throw this out there. You can actually both be followers of Jesus, that is Christians, and it still be a spiritual mismatch. Maybe it's a Catholic and a Protestant to get married. Or as we talked about the other week, maybe it's an Arminius and a Calvinist that have gotten married. Or we talked a few years ago that there's a big difference between being a fan of Jesus and someone that's a follower of Jesus. You know, a couple that isn't on the same page spiritually is bound to experience increased tension. Now, I know some of you singles are wondering, well, if I can't find the right spiritual match, does that mean that I just should simply remain single? And the simple answer to that is, yeah. But let me dive in a bit deeper to that real quick. Because, see, the question really is, how well do you want to serve Jesus? See, the issue isn't whether you're married or single. The issue is, how big of an impact for God's kingdom do you want to have? Two people on the same page spiritually are going to be able to partner together and make a much bigger impact. But if you get married and you're unequally yoked, then you're not going to make as big of a difference for Jesus because your loyalties are going to be divided. Question number two, then. Do you think it's okay to have sex before you get married? Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because, as I mentioned a couple weeks back in the message about homosexuality, all sex outside of marriage is wrong and it's sinful. Now, remember, the goal is holy sexuality. Now, I'm going to let you read the whole thing for yourself, but Proverbs chapter 6 and 7 talks a whole lot about not giving in to sexual temptation. And in chapter 7, there are three analogies that are used to describe those uh, that, that who do give in to sexual temptation. First of all, it says that you're like an ox being led to slaughter. 
or you're like a deer that's walked right into a trap and is about to be shot by the hunter's arrow. Or perhaps you're like a little bird who, you know, you saw what you wanted and you realize that there's pleasure right before you, but actually what's before you is a snare and it's about to cost you your life. Listen, the cure for loneliness is not found in the bedroom. Yet this myth of, well, you gotta try it before you buy it continues on. You know, according to Time Magazine, 39% of all Americans now say that marriage is obsolete. 60% of couples now live together outside of marriage, and 80% of those who do live together are still going to end up breaking up and experience the same pain of divorce. In fact, you are 50% more likely to get a divorce if you live together before marriage. And abuse, that's more likely as well. Now, I know some of you are going, Gilbert, come on, man. You're just being old-fashioned. I mean, come on, dude. This is 2018. Get with the times. But listen, this isn't Gilbert saying this to you. It's God speaking to you. And apparently, this is an age-old dilemma. The Apostle Paul and his church apparently dealt with this exact same argument. People are like, come on, dude. It's AD 52. Get with the times. Look at what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 8. He writes, God wants you to be holy. So don't be immoral in matters of sex. Respect and honor your wife. Don't be a slave of your desires or live like people who don't know God. You must not cheat any of the Lord's followers in matters of sex. Remember, we warned you that he punishes everyone who does such things. God didn't choose you to be filthy, but to be pure. So if you don't obey these rules, you're not really disobeying us. You're really disobeying God who gives you the Holy Spirit. This whole question of what do you think about sex before marriage, it reveals a lot about the person you're dating. Are they more interested in satisfying their own pleasures or are they interested in pleasing a holy God? Here's the third question you need to ask then. What are your career goals? You know, this question reveals a lot about a person's priorities. If they say, what is this uh, career thing which you speak about? It's probably less, best just to let them go and ditch the relationship. If on the other hand, their career and goals is all that they can talk about, then that should put up a red flag as well. In fact, here's an interesting set of sub questions that you should have them do. Say out of these four things, put these things in order of importance, career, marriage, God, and children. In fact, I want you to right now stop and do that right at this moment. Career, marriage, God, and children. Put them in order. What is the most important to you? What's number two? What's number three? What's number four? Go ahead and do that. Now, you see, the reason this is important to know is because, for example, if you know you want to have both a career and a children, and that is possible, but your spouse sees career as number one and children as number two, but yet you see that it's the opposite way. The order that you have these things in is going to affect when you have kids, how many kids you're going to have, uh, you know, who's going to raise the kids, how will your kids be disciplined? Can you see how major arguments can be started, even between two people who love Jesus? If one person is putting the uh, career first and the other is putting children first and vice versa. And, you know, that's just two of the four categories. Pick any of the two categories there and think through what happens when one spouse rates one higher than the other. Now think about it with all four categories. What if your number one is their number four and then vice versa? I mean, major conflict will ensue. Now, thankfully, from the entirety of God's word, we know that God says the correct order needs to be as followers of Jesus, this order. Ready? It's God, marriage, children, then career. Let me say that again. It's God, then your marriage, then your children, then your career. 
Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, then all of your other needs will be met as well. You see, God always has to come first. He comes first before your spouse. And he comes before whatever he or she wants. He's got to come first before your kids and before their needs and their wants and their sports and their other activities that they're involved in. And he comes before your job. Remember what I always tell you. Your job is how you make a living, but your ministry for God is how you make a life. So God comes, number one, even before your spouse. Now, let me stop right there. Your spouse then has to come before your kids. Let me say that again. Your spouse has to come before your kids. You cannot put your kids as number one in your life. And the reason that is important is this. Your spouse was a part of your life before you had kids. And your spouse is going to be a part of your life after you have kids, you know, after your kids move out. So to put your kids at the center of your family is simply wrong. You see, the very best thing you can do for your kids is to show them that mom and dad put Jesus first. We love Jesus more than we love you kids. We love Jesus more than we love each other. But then what's important is that you model for them that the secret to a great marriage and the secret to a great family is when mom and dad love each other even more than we love you kids. You see, the power of that combined love will be even greater of a love for your kids than if you had placed them first. Now, let me stop. This is the exact same principle that we talk about when it comes to tithing. That, you know, it's, it's interesting that when you give that first 10% to God, he takes that remaining 90% and, and somehow he, he makes that remaining 90% greater than what the, the previous, uh, or if you kept all 100% to yourself. And it's the same way in your relationship with your spouse and your kids. When you put God first, he blesses your marriage more. When you put, your, uh, when you put God first and then you put your spouse second, he blesses your relationship with your kids even more. Now, number three then does come your kids. They have to come before your career. They have to come before your job. They are not impressed by your job title. They're not impressed by how much money you make. What leaves an impression on your kids is the time that you spend with them and the experiences that you create together. Question number four. What was it like for you growing up as a child? Now, this question isn't necessarily a deal breaker, but it will help you to discover some potential areas of conflict. Were they closer to their mom or to their dad? Who was in charge of the house, mom or dad? How many siblings did they have? Were they the oldest child, one of the middle children, or were they the baby of the family? What were holidays like? How did they do in school? What role did extended family play? Now again, none of these things are deal breakers, but I know for Lisa and I, we had to figure out the extended family part. She grew up with it basically just being her parents and siblings and then grandparents as a part of her life. But for me, it wasn't just my mom and dad and sister. It was my grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins. In fact, Sunday evenings for dinner was often 30 plus people. For Lisa, I'm not even sure that she could have named 30 people that were her relatives. And so what we needed to figure out was, you know, how are we going to make this work? And that's what you need to realize for your life as well. It's ultimately, you know, uh, how are we going to make these various differences work? Because ultimately God doesn't want you to change your spouse. What God wants you to do is to love your spouse. And so the more you know about a person's upbringing, the more you're going to be able to spot some potential future problems. Question five then. What are your expectations of a spouse? 
for any of you who have been through premarital counseling with me, you know that this is my key word. This is the word we talk about all the time, expectations. It's the word that we focus on more than any other. You see, every conflict you'll ever have in life, whether it's with your spouse or kids, your friends, a boss, it's always going to have to do with differing expectations. You thought one thing was going to happen. They thought something else was going to happen. And when they didn't, then there was conflict. And so when it comes to marriage, it's important that you know what the other person's expectations are of a spouse. Who's going to cook? Who's going to clean? Who's going to handle the finances or the yard work? How many kids are you going to have? When are we going to have kids? Who's going to be in charge of disciplining the kids? How often do you expect sex? How often are we going to be able to hang out with just the guys or her with just some of her friends? How are we going to make big decisions like making a move or making a major purchase? And then, you know, the list just goes on and on and on and on. But the more you talk about these things before you get married, the better your chances are making sure that you've got the, the right person to marry. You see, what happens so often is when you're dating, we make a lot of compromises because you're trying to impress the other person. But then you get married and the real you comes out. And the real you oftentimes has a different set of expectations than you did while you were dating. Now, let me throw out one more quick thing. One of the questions you need to ask yourself is, who is it that I'm expecting to make me happy? And if your answer is your spouse, then you're in for a rude awakening. You see, there is no other person that can make you happy. There's no other person that can satisfy you except for Jesus. You know, your spouse at times is going to disappoint and frustrate you. And so you've got to make sure that you're not expecting them to meet all of your needs. All right. As I wrap up, let me talk to two groups of people quickly. For those of you that are single, make sure you go through these five questions with anyone that you're dating. And let me save you just a little bit of time and a whole lot of heartache. If they get the answer to question one wrong of, you know, what does it mean to you to be a follower of Jesus? then that means you're not dating the same or the right person. I mean, you're not on the right page spiritually. And so there's no reason to even talk to them about the other four. I mean, unless Jesus has first place in their life, you have no business dating them, much less marrying them. And then if you're here today and you're already married and, you know, and you want to improve your marriage, it doesn't hurt you to go through this list. As you've heard me say before, I do doesn't mean I'm done. Now, obviously, you're going to answer these questions a little bit differently because, you know, you're already married to them. But what you need to realize is that divorce is completely off the table. And so it never hurts to talk about, okay, where are each of us at spiritually? And to check in to see how are we doing in our sex life? And to have an honest conversation about the order that you have for God, marriage, children, and career. Do you have it right or not? And of course, the more you get to know about each other and each other's past and their future hopes and dreams and goals, uh, the better off you're going to be. And then you should constantly be talking about your expectations in life and in marriage. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's message. And again, singles, I hope you got a lot out of this. And I hope you come back next week because we're going to talk about just married with an exclamation point. And then in week three, we're going to talk about just married, question mark. And then in week four, we're going to talk about, okay, what happens if I've been married and I've gotten a divorce? What, what, what do I do at that point? So I hope you'll come back and join us for the series. We meet every Sunday morning, 10 o'clock 
at uh, 4699 Earl Drive in Harrisburg. For those of you that are maybe listening uh, online here today, I hope you'll come check us out sometime. But for now, let me, uh, let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to look at your word, to see uh, what marriage, dating, relationships, sex, everything should look like. And so, uh, Father, I pray that as uh, I spoke in the day to the singles, that, Lord, you would uh, just help them to take seriously what we've uh, talked about, that there's these five questions that will help them to discover who is the right person for them. And Lord, I, I pray that each and every one here that is, is single would uh, especially take seriously question number one, of what does it mean to you to be a follower of Jesus? And that, Lord, uh, if the other person isn't following Jesus, that we would say, okay, that, that's not the right person. God, you have somebody better in mind for me. And, Lord, I pray that you would bring that perfect person into their life and that they would be able to uh, meet together, not only in question number one, but then all these other questions that they would have in common as well and that they would get married and it would last until death do them part. Lord, for those that are here and they're, they're married, I just pray that they would go through these questions as well and just sort of challenge one another and just check in, see how things are going. Lord, for those that maybe are struggling in their marriage, I pray that this series would give them hope. And Lord, for those that have gone through the pain of a divorce, I pray that they would also have hope by the time we get done this series, that they would see that you still have a plan for them in their life and their relationships. And Lord, that uh, nothing is beyond your forgiveness and that, that you still have a plan. So, um, Lord, again, just be with each and every one of us and, and give us the right next step that you would have for us to take through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for doing this in all of our lives. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. And again, I hope you'll join us next week as we continue with part two of the series.